Welcome to the show. At the end of the last episode, we said the next film we were going to cover was Apocalypse Now. But that's incorrect. The 1977 Henry Winkler Sally Field drama Heroes is next. Seems we overlooked Heroes. Well, everyone did. It's the Ford Fiesta! I'm Kingdom of the Crystal Paul Preston. And I'm Radam Hartswit. And Paul's right. This week we're talking about heroes. No, not that heroes. It's the heroes we're talking about you haven't heard of. So we'll do you the favor of recapping what it's all about in just a minute. But first, some housekeeping, as ever. We're determined to watch all the movies Harrison Ford ever appeared in, so please support our nonsense by liking and sharing posts, subscribing where possible, and of course, following us on social media, at the Movie Guys, pretty much everywhere, and at themovieguys.net. Now, before we talk about heroes, no, not that heroes. No, no, no. Uh, as ever, we bring you... What's new in the world of Harrison Ford? Let's talk about this, Adam, because there's a a lot going on. It's been a while since we did Star Wars. And, uh, of course, the big news, it's been news for a bit, but Harrison Ford injured his shoulder on the set of Indiana Jones 5. I guess he was rehearsing a fight scene. And shooting will continue best it can while he's hurt, but it could be a four to five weeks while he's out. I mean, more CGI, I guess, right? You know, come on. We just need more CGI to quit injuring this old... Man, he's almost a, you know, he's a 70-something-year-old man. So he should fight a CGI uh, villain. That's like just at this point. <laughs> Have the stunt man he's fighting just be CGI. Then he can't possibly connect or hurt, pull yeah, something, whatever right. he did. Yeah, you, I mean, you put him in a green screen stage with a bunch of padding and stuff, and you let that guy fall on some soft surfaces, okay? And everybody jumped on this online. In fact, there was one website I should have written down who it was, but they were like, he's out! They're going to replace him with a double for the entire movie and just do face reconstruction with, with you want your CGI, there it is. They're going to Christopher Liam and put his face on this double, according to this one and only website reporting that news. No, there's no replacing Harrison Ford. We know that. We tried. You can't just... Put a, a computer guy in there or a Shia LaBeouf. People won't accept it. No. They're counting on people accepting Antonio Banderas, who has now joined the cast of Indiana Jones 5. Nice. I mean, I appreciate what you told me before, that you think the best cast of all of these is Crystal Skull, which I think, of course, is the worst movie. But we'll happily watch it again when the time comes. But that, I mean, on paper, that's a great cast. On paper, this one's pretty good, too. I mean, you got Mads Mikkelsen and Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who, whose first photos of her on set Ooh. have been out there now in a 60s outfit. Really? And, uh, yeah, and now throw in Antonio Banderas. I mean, it's looking oh. pretty good, too. Yeah, I bet Antonio Banderas, I, I, my, my guess is, is going to be a Sala kind of role, a guide or somebody that's... Uh, Maybe he travels to, uh, you know, this, this could be his Sala. I mean, Antonio Banderas is a pretty funny Sala type, too. He plays a lot of funny characters like that. Yeah, I could see him getting upset. And, you know, because it's his, like, super intense face it either works in the drama or it's funny to watch him get so <laughs> upset. I watched uh, uh, Machete Kills. And he's just a, he's a funny random character in that. But I see him pop up like that sometimes, just random funny little characters. So When he spoofed his own gravitas best was Puss in Boots, which you should see if you haven't. Oh my God. So funny. That's so perfect. <laughs> 
Uh, other news, a Marvel Star Wars number one comic signed by Ford just sold in an online auction for $40,500. There were 68 bids on it. Original price? 35 cents. Wow. How do you get Harrison Ford to sign a Star Wars number one comic book? Oh, it's probably the 1970s. Right, right. <laughs> That's how. Hey, you won't be famous much longer, Harrison Ford. Would you sign this comic book? Wow, nobody's ever asked me <laughs> to sign anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so check your uh, check your stashes, kids. We're all adults at this point. If you got any old stuff, yes. check your stashes. I-, I know I have a decent collection of Star Wars. I'm surprised I don't have all of them for how much I like Star Wars, but the comic books were never quite there. There was a green rabbit. You know, there was yeah. like... <laughs> yeah. Jax, is think his name Jax. or something like that? Yeah. yeah. Or Jax or Jackson. That is correct. And you know he'll show up again in one of these animated shows. Like, that's such a beloved pop culture now oddball Star Wars character that's <laughs> John, never made it out of that. The Harvey sidekick of uh, Solos. Yeah. <laughs> but we were just talking about Off the Air, the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood audiobook. And we talked about how novelizations are the only way you got to enjoy the movie back in the day right. at home. Yeah. Because it wasn't coming back on VHS. So for me, it was the oversized Star Wars comic books. Remember those? They're about the size of a placemat or even bigger. Yes, yes, totally. Th- th- those are worth nothing. I read those yeah. and reread those and re- and like put paper over them and tried to trace yeah. the drawings. You know, I, they're just worth nothing, but I still have them, still have them, and they're huge. And Oh, I love those. Uh, they're, they're, they were yeah. gigantic. And my, my favorite was, uh, and then Muhammad Ali versus Superman. I had that one too as a giant comic book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What? Yeah. That's a thing? Yeah, wow. that was a thing. Who won? The champ, right? That had to win. You can't beat Muhammad Ali. I feel like there was something happened that, that the, the the kryptonite gloves or something. I don't know. I feel like there's something odd happened there. I'm not sure. <laughs> because I do remember <laughs> Superman being super beat up in one frame. So champ. So maybe the champ won. Come on. Uh, and while Ford was injured, he and Tom Cruise were both spotted at the British Grand Prix. So that's, uh, I guess he's injured he can't do anything he went out to watch racing but that can't be your car it must be your mama's car apparently shooting in they're shooting in like glasgow and north yorkshire in the uk and scotland so uh and i guess they arrived at separate times so that would just be too much awesome too star much. power and well like if ford and cruise showed up on your event whatever oh my it is god <laughs> you just you're like here pulls up a car and you're like oh my god harrison ford oh my god dom cruise okay what a hang what do you think it's like those two hanging out do you think Scientology allows Tom Cruise to smoke pot? Because that would have to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I can't. <laughs> Sorry, I can't, Harrison Ford. <laughs> I understand its power. Uh, and I had my own sort of run-in with the Ford lineage. It took my first flight in a year and a half. And, you know, I always wanted to go to Ford's Filling Station, which is the restaurant Harrison Ford's son, Ben, ran here in L.A. for many years. And I never made it. Yeah. And it closed. So I thought my shot was done. However, Ford's filling station lives on at LAX Terminal 5. So I was flying out of there, and lo and behold, I went in and had a breakfast burrito that was awesome. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just super classy. It's a picture of uh, Ben Ford holding a big fish, talking about he's into, like, extreme cooking, like, big exotic meals and things. Then again, he has a book, I believe, that's out about just all the stuff he can do with chicken. And there's one shot in there of he and uh, his dad grilling together, so... It's a cool place. This this was a very funny series of texts because you sent me uh, the filling. You sent me four texts. In the order was it was filling station, and then a giant uh, photo of Ben Ford, and then Ben and Harrison Ford cooking together, and then just a burrito. 
And it was, it was like this, the ending of it was just, and it, it does come down to a burrito, but I'm glad you liked it, yeah. but, it but it was pretty unmonumental <laughs> after the first threes. Yeah. <laughs> Three of the things represented in those photos are still there. That's awesome that you went to, uh, the, you, you, got, you had a Harrison Ford run-in in life in a weird way. You didn't get to see him on a bike uh, around L.A., but, you know. And, yeah, fulfilled a little wish I wanted for years that I just never made it to the to Ben's actual restaurant. But um, if also, if you want to know what's going on with the Ford Fiesta and you're new to this podcast, check out uh, The Outlaw Nation. Oh, yeah. That is uh, a podcast run by our friend John Roca. And Adam and I appeared on there recently, and we talked all about the Ford Fiesta, talked about our favorite Ford movies outside of the, you know, the Star Wars and the Indiana Jones trilogies, and talked about how far back our love with him goes. So it was a big, good uh, promo piece for, for this show. Such a such a love fest on Harrison Ford, because Roca obviously feels the same way we do, and we're going to get him on here, which would be lots of fun. Uh, but, uh, but man, yeah, that was a really good, I mean, that was just solid. We had prepared sketches to take on that show. Like we have a whole, as we do, as we do overprepared as always <laughs> the number of sketches we have prepared that we don't get to when we're on a Bobby Gucci <laughs> show or whatever. But, uh, uh, but that was cool. I was like, I wasn't prepared. I was like, oh yeah, we're going to talk Harrison Ford the whole time. It was his birthday. We were on there for his birthday. And uh, as ever, I Google Harrison Ford news just to see what Google brings me in the world. I love it. It's always something wacky. <laughs> and sure enough, there's an article, Callista Flockhart leaving Harrison Ford because he won't quit flying. <laughs> and you know what's hilarious? I saw that a while ago and I just saw another one. Harrison Ford, or, or Callista Flockhart leaving Harrison Ford because he keeps getting injured on set. <laughs> so... <laughs> Whatever it is, there are dummies there to jump on it and make a story out of it. Every person that's married has got to be left by their wife for something. It's the old inquirer. Yeah, I mean, these two now have been together forever, it seems like. Good. Yeah, and, and the guy's crashed three airplanes since they've been married. What are you talking about? She's not going <laughs> to be all the time. Maybe after he crashed a, a classic World War II airplane into a hole of a golf course and walked away, that might have been the time where she would have left him, but... I think that's how he showed up to their wedding. Uh, <laughs> in other news, uh, Michael Waldron, the screenwriter of Doctor Strange and the mm. Multiverse of Madness, the new Sam Raimi Marvel movie, says he drew on Indiana Jones when writing for Doctor Strange in this film. So I'm oh. curious if we're going to see a more adventurous Doctor Strange than we did previously if you're drawing on Indy. Doctor Strange, you have tons of amulets and thing, you know, things created by ancient civilizations. And, you know, I mean, I could totally see an Indiana Jones vibe. I mean, he's kind of an adventurer of the occult, but like old stuff, you know? Yeah, but he always seemed kind of like high end in your in your class of, you know, he was a doctor. And then right. he deals with this heavy spirituality and multi dimensions. You never see him down in the rough. So maybe we'll get a little down in the rough mixing it up. Yeah. You know, maybe the hands have healed up and you can punch people successfully. Well, <laughs> but, you know, to, to get his training to begin with, he had to travel to the middle of nowhere, up some mountains and do an ancient yeah. society. I mean, it's almost like, yeah, it's like, like going to find Molaram or something, except he ends up getting magical powers out of the deal. But um, I could totally that's a, that's an interesting influence, though. I would think you would go more, you know, something else much more fantastical. But then you think about the end of every Indiana Jones film. It's all very fantastical, you know. There's always yeah, spirits and magic and and all that sort of stuff. So that's pretty cool. One more, uh, one more quick recurring show segment before we get to the show proper, and that is this date in Ford history. History, history, history. July thirteenth, twenty twenty one. Harrison Ford turns seventy nine. Why that was last week, was and last uh, week. yeah, that as we mentioned is the day we. Got on that show and celebrated. Yeah. 
79 years old, still doing it. Remember, remember when he was old the first time and second time? It's not the years, it's the mileage. <laughs> I always go to him and Eastwood and, and other people like that when it's like, or even Tom Cruise, yeah. it's like 59, yeah. you know, it's like 59 in other parts of the world is a different 59. <laughs> I was just uh, listening to a podcast about Jaws and uh, the fact that uh, you know, we are Quint's age. We are uh, Robert Shaw's age. <laughs> they always show that meme with Cruz and Wilford Brimley that they were the same age. You know, as he's the same age as Brimley was in Cocoon. This was a few years ago, too. <laughs> yeah. He's still he's just shot in a Mission Impossible movie. So, yeah. Anyway, we'll talk about that on the cruise craptacular or whatever we got coming around the corner. <laughs> People made fun of it. How long ago did the uh, Crystal Skull come out? That's like now. Yeah, 13 years ago. Is that that long? Yeah, 08. God. And they were like, he's too old to play Indiana Jones. And now nobody says it. Yeah, and the Stones will tour again. And everybody yeah. just shut up. Yeah, just shut up. <laughs> July 18th, 2000. What Lies Beneath released. Crazy year. Robert Zemeckis puts out this and Castaway in the same year. I mean, both. Ambitious films. Do you know the story behind why these came out in the same year? I do not. He. This is amazing thing that uh, Zemeckis and Adam, did. I bet our viewers don't either. Or by viewers, of course, I mean listeners. Please <laughs> regale us. I will regale. Listen, listen. You're about to get a bold regaling right here. <laughs> he shot the beginning of uh, Castaway. Ah, yes. And then to keep the crew together, while Tom Hanks could lose weight and grow a beard, he shot an entire other movie, edited it, and released it, and then resumed shooting Castaway. That's right, I did hear that. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, how cool is that? Just kept the whole crew together. Uh, And and the other thing about What Lies Beneath, and this is kind of exciting, okay, this is a 21-year-old movie now, and there is apparently a twist in it that I always heard there was a twist in it, and somehow I've never found out the twist... You've not seen What Lies Beneath. I've not seen What Lies Beneath. Oh, and okay. I We're learning. Am, and, and can I hold out another you know six months or whatever till we get to it to find yes. out what the twist is? So I'm I very excited. Yeah. yeah. You came this far. July 19th, 2002. Harrison Ford stars in K-19, The Widowmaker, which is released on July 19th, 2002. A movie I never heard of for years. Oh, really? I, I, I remember had, when it came out. I saw it in the theater, but... Uh, <laughs> Without me, you're nothing. I mean, this is the time where I'm stopping seeing Harrison Ford movies automatically. Um, I don't know what year. I think the one that I really kind of stopped on a dime was Six Days, Seven Nights. But it was like years ago that I heard of K-19, The Widowmaker, and I was like, Harrison Ford was in a submarine movie directed by <laughs> Catherine Bigelow, and I literally never heard of it. With Liam Neeson. With Liam Neeson. Yeah. Well, clearly, yeah, you missed What Lies Beneath, so you got a gap there that we're going to come across, and you're going to really enjoy yourself. Yeah. Because they're new Harrison Ford movies. Quality be damned, you're watching new Harrison Ford movies. Now, now why is there a movie called K-9 The Widowmaker and K-19 The Widowmaker, and neither of them are related to each other in any way? K-9 is not called The Widowmaker. No. The mountain climbing one? K-9 with Jim Belushi is not called The Widowmaker. No, the, the mountain climbing one with Michael Bean. Oh, K2? Oh, K2. Never mind. K2. Never mind. Right, K9's Jim Belushi. Oh, right, 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 right. Now, that I've seen. Of course I've seen that. <laughs> that you've seen. <laughs> that okay. I've seen. That is correct. <laughs> uh, now, K18, The Freshmaker. Is that, uh, is that a direct sequel to No, this? but it is our cue to get on to the recap. Yes. Adam, let's do it. 
Fresh off hit star-making turn as Arthur Fonzarelli on TV's Happy Days, Henry Winkler cashes his first fame check by turning down Battle of the Network stars to instead play one of cinema's first representations of a Vietnam veteran suffering from war trauma in Heroes. Don't look for it. It's not there anymore. Heroes tells the story of Jack Dunn, a man that seems raptured to fly in the face of convention and embrace the moment by acting on every whim. In the opening scene, his impulsiveness leads him to charge into a New York City military recruiting office and discourage the recruits from enlisting by making a scene that leads to his arrest. But before he can shout, if it feels good, do it! Turns out he's not just some activist hippie all hopped up on peace. He's actually an escapee of a Veterans Administration mental hospital. As we suddenly realize Jack is acting out, not because he's seized by the present moment, but because of the trauma in his past. Full disclosure, we added the word suddenly. This movie doesn't treat any revelation as a... But instead, everything is more of a... And then? Not wanting to miss out on any recent trend, Heroes stops down to give us a little one-jumped-over-the-shark's nest with Jack and his <laughs> colorful friends in the VA. But don't get too used to them, or any setting in Heroes for that matter, as Jack immediately escapes for reason. And, and then, then? He boards a bus headed to place for purpose. But this journey isn't about the destination, it's about the Sally Fields we meet along the way. Carol, played by Sally Field, is taking a bus to place, because she's due to get married in two days, but is having second thoughts. Now, some movies would let you know this by naming the movie Runaway Bride. But Heroes mumbles this information in between Jack's charmless and exasperating antics. And, and then... Jack meets a ventriloquist on the bus and steals his dummy to put on a show for Carol and the bus. It's annoying, random, and weird, and therefore one of the most accurate presentations of taking a greyhound I've ever seen in a movie. I think somewhere in here it's revealed that Jack is going to visit various soldiers from his unit in Vietnam. But again, like all revelations in Heroes, this information is conveyed with all the gravitas of a donut choice at Winchell's. Oh, and Jack's goal is to start a worm farm in Eureka, California, with his shoebox full of worms. Oh, and he's also carrying a shoebox full of worms the whole time. And the way I just delivered that information is exactly how this movie did the same. And, and then... Jack and Carol get kicked off the bus far later than expected and extend their meat commute with another impenetrable conversation at a diner. It's there that Manic Pixie Dream Fonz shuns society's rules against throwing worms in people's food and does exactly that before climbing on the diner's counter and kicking people's food all over, instantly knocking the diner's health department rating from a B to a C. In what I think is supposed to feel like exuberant spontaneity, Jack does $300 worth of damage to the diner, $1,300 adjusted for inflation, which Carol pays for from her marriage escape fund. But... Hold on there, audience, before you fall in love with this catch, you're going to have to stand in line behind Sally Field, who may have met the next man that she's not going to marry. But that's not really what this movie is about. Harrison Ford makes an entrance that, and I'm calling it right here, he will never top. Squealing his tires, racing into the movie, kicking up dust and doing a donut in the orange 1970 Camaro with an Ace of Diamonds card logo painted on the door. Out of which exits Harrison Ford. Right about now, Han Solo's in a heap of trouble. Ford plays Ken Boyd in a performance best described by LA Times movie critic Charles Champlin as a sleepwalking sweetness or a paralyzed innocence. 
But for those who speak Ford Fiesta, I'd call it a bit of a Willie Bill meets Bob Falfa. 455 cubes. Woo! Jimmy Blower gets up about 600 horses. Yeah. Holly dual inlet double pumpers. <laughs> Ken served in Jack's unit in Vietnam with the other soldiers Jack is endeavoring to reconnect with. Like Jack, Ken is suffering from trauma that he exhibits by taking a military rifle he smuggled back and firing it at the stars. And then... Jack enters a race in Ken's Ace of Diamonds Camaro to win the $300 he owes Carol. Why? How? What? Welcome to Heroes. The real sin here is that Harrison Ford doesn't drive the car. Instead, Jack does and loses. Maybe the Fonz should have raced. Ain't nothing to it. All you gotta do is go round and round in a circle. I can do that real good. And then, they build rabbit houses. You want rabbits? Yeah. We got rabbits. Sure. Ken's lost and listless life since he returned from Vietnam is symbolized by a bunch of unbuilt rabbit houses. I don't know either, but this is where Jack's let's put a show on in this barn attitude towards life works out. Jack gets Ken out of his rut by helping him accomplish something meaningful, getting the famous carpenter Harrison Ford to do carpentry in a movie. And in the process, giving the world one of Harrison Ford's most famous photos, Ford bare-chested, holding a hammer and a Napa hat with a mouthful of nails. If you look up Ford Carpenter, you're seeing a still from this movie. And, and then, then Jack and Carol share a kiss in the motel, but uncomfortable with a plot line taking a straight trajectory, he leaves to get hassled by locals who don't get his worm farm idea either. Jack sheds his silly demeanor to coldly describe to the toughs how he will kill them. They realize they don't know who they're messing with and mess with him. Then Sally Field proves she's learned a few moves from Burt Reynolds by driving the Ace of Diamonds straight through the front of the bar, doing a lot more than $300 worth of damage, giving Hero's trailer a moment sure to bring soon-to-be-disappointed Smokey and the Bandit fans out to the theater. And then Sally Field leaves her husband over the phone in a single unbroken take in a performance the critics called Too Late in This Movie for Me to Care. And, and then, then the police impound the car and they make it the rest of the way to Eureka, California, as the audience makes it to the realization that the previous hour and a half of the movie was just a series of distractions. And then Jack locates Jane Adcox, forgotten wife of one of his military friends. Olivia Cole plays Jane in a performance that's subtle, endearing, somewhat sad and, because it's in Heroes, brief. The best thing about being upset that there will be no more Olivia Cole in this film at this point is that it stopped me from being angry that there was no more Harrison Ford in the film at this point. When Jack comes across his final buddy's home to pitch him the worm farm, he is greeted with bad news that pushes the film's budget to the forefront. Jack races through the streets of Eureka while experiencing the horrors of war right there in the streets of a small town. This scene was shot in Petaluma, California, so it has echoes of American graffiti if it were directed by John Milius. Eventually, Jack ends up in the arms of Sally Field, who has downed a couple of protein shakes to handle all the heavy lifting of the final scene's repetitive, dramatic one-liners. And just when you thought this movie had finally broken out of being completely random with a targeted message, the only song in the entire movie plays us out in the credits. In case you didn't know, and most people don't, I asked, you know, they, where you are in the Ford Fiesta, we're on Heroes, and, uh, you know, no one's heard of this movie, and yet, in 1977, it comes out six months after Star Wars and Smokey and the Bandit, two huge moments in Harrison Ford and, Smoke, and uh, Sally Field's careers, and it opened number one. 
Yeah, nobody knows this movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, it ended up grossing $33.5 million on a $3 million budget. Whoa. So it's like a hit. You know? And them's... Them's 1977 numbers. Wow, I mean, I, this is this is definitely the effect of the Smoking the Bandit and Star Wars. They come out in the same week or roughly the same time. Yeah, period. certainly the same summer. I can't remember. We looked at that once to find out which came out when, but you know, Star Wars numbers are just unattainable by any other movie at that time. So yeah. I guess 30 million was a big deal. And on a three million dollar budget, yeah, this is this is a hit. And maybe it was because of them and the Fonz, you know, all being at the and top the Fonz. of the popularity and the Fonz based on a George Lucas and uh, Harrison Ford movie from uh, a couple years previous too oh, it's, it's an all what a it's, time it's a web it all comes together in a huge web and uh it's released with the tagline finding the one you love is finding yourself oh <laughs> I didn't see much of that in this movie at all but that's a lovely sentiment <laughs> <laughs> I think she says it at one point yeah because you know Henry Winkler's all down with the uh, PTSD and everything until he discovers things about himself as he travels on this road. What's well, essentially a road trip movie. Well, we kept comparing it to Scarecrow while watching it, which is the a movie that people also don't know, but it's Al Pacino and uh, Gene Hackman going on a road trip across country. Check the movieguys.net. We just reviewed that movie because it had a new, uh, I believe some kind of new DVD or Blu-ray release so people can find it again. They won't, but... It is out there. It is two legendary actors at the top of their game as well. It's shocking that that movie exists. You're like, and and most people have never heard of it. I mean, that is a movie that you absolutely would have heard of. You'd think. Well, in uh, Heroes, I mean, I tried to I tried to rent it, and Amazon did everything it could to tell me that's not the movie I was searching for. <laughs> we may have had this before with one of the other films I was looking up. They thought for sure I was uh, there for the NBC superhero TV series Heroes, right? Or you. you you want that Sam Elliott movie, Hero. It's like, dude, is that a big movie? I, I don't know that to be some huge film, but maybe that. Or Hero with Dustin Hoffman they brought up as well. Right. Big Hero 6. You clearly mean Big Hero 6, Big Disney. Clearly you want Last Action Hero. It's like, nobody's ever wanted Last Action Hero. And now you think I want that instead of 1977's Heroes with Harrison Ford. But uh, yeah, eventually scroll down. You'll find this movie and you can watch it. But... Should you, Adam? Should you watch Heroes? What year is this? 77? 77. Yeah, literally same year as Star Wars. Everyone was like waiting wow. for what these two would do next. And it was this. <laughs> and it was this. And it's so awkward. It's, I mean, he starts the thing at a recruiting office and uh, and he's playing a crazy guy. This is Henry Winkler, he, by the way. Yeah, not This Harrison is Henry Ford, Winkler. Just so you know. Henry Winkler. TV's, TV's The Fonz <laughs> playing against type. Now, once again, this is a movie that, oh, my God, if Harrison Ford had been the lead, he could have brought so much to this because we're supposed to enjoy Winkler's craziness, like that he's way off. He's carrying around a box of worms because he's going to start a worm farm. Being a little R.P. McMurphy about everything, right? From Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. In the, in the wake of that film. So so that's like you're set up to get a that type of a feel but I, it never fully comes off it just comes off i mean he really feels like he is just he's harassing everybody <laughs> he's just being a constant nuisance you can't get on his side he's 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 disrupting this he's disrupting that he's and he's really messing with uh, sally field like a lot he's a real pain in her ass halfway through this movie or even earlier i'm like why would sally field's character go along with any of this nonsense <laughs> you know only the, because it, the script says so exactly it's because it's on the next page 
that they're still together doing stuff. But yeah, in reality, if you know this were a movie that was more aware of its storytelling, it would have had something else happen to keep them together that was beyond just cuz. Yeah, because it's planes, trains, and automobiles. Like he, I mean, he gets on the bus, but then gets tossed off the bus, and then he gets her tossed off the bus. It's like he's just constantly ruining her day. Yeah. And, oh, oh, and it's like, and so many things are just dropped. They have to remind you, by the way, that he's headed to California to start a worm farm because he has a box that says Eureka on it. I think he's going to Eureka, California. And it's, and it just has, he has, they have to remind you because it's so aimless, this movie that, oh, by the way, he's going to start a a worm farm. That's his goal in life, which is a weird goal. I mean, again, he's a weirdo in this movie. He does weird stuff and talks to himself and jumps. I mean, it's almost like, again, like getting straight, like, you know, when he jumps on the table in that movie, you're like, oh, it's this great strike against the system. And it's like, you he just trashes a diner and you're like, I don't know if I really buy that he should have trashed that diner and thrown worms at everybody's food. You know, was that, is that a good call? It's interesting because they, they're kind of almost saying, look, the war has messed this guy up. He acts erratically yes. and he has, you know, uh, it goes from zero to 16.01 seconds. And, uh, yeah. the movie does as well, but it kind of does a disservice to the character when, it, when that makes him so insane and so unlikable. It's almost not, it's almost like, I don't know if this behavior would be the result of what he went through. You know, it's yeah. like, I get that he's displaced and trying to figure out what his life is, but it's a, I don't know, it felt a little uh, even more erratic than I would imagine. We're in cinema's reckoning of the Vietnam War, and it's it's a great point to bring up, but I just don't, uh, instead they go for antics, I feel, yeah. like that, that he does, he just does weird things. And there were times in this movie where I was like, we could really actually use a flashback to contextualize mm-hmm. what he had gone through and why in this moment. Certainly there's a there's a big bar fight at one point. I mean, it might be Fonzie's, uh, sorry, it might be Henry Winkler's. <laughs> His curse. <laughs> I know, well, hey, especially you're watching this in 77. You're like, that's a pretty good Fonzie movie. Was Fonzie good in that movie? Yeah, I like Fonzie in that movie. <laughs> Uh, yeah, his curse. But, um, you know, where some some people, you know, grab him and, you know, threaten him. And I'm like, oh, and, and even without this movie doing a lot of good homework to to make me empathize with him or feel that th- that some of these antics are based on what he went through in the war. That was a moment where I was like, oh, you, well, one thing you really if you got a guy with PTSD, one thing you really don't do is grab him by the collar and threaten him. And, you know, try, I'm like, ooh, that's going to. But I also really wanted at that moment, I was like, oh, man, this really would be a good time. Much like First Blood, right? When they're everything they're doing to John Rambo at the beginning of that, you know, the shower and all this stuff and throwing him into the, the prison, everything. Mm-hmm. He has constant flashbacks to those exact things being done to him in Vietnam. And this was a moment where I was like, and I was like, oh, it's just not in the style of this movie. Meanwhile, it ends with a 10 minute sequence that is 100 percent that style. So it's kind of shocking that that didn't that style didn't play out throughout the entire movie, because I think that would really would have grounded Henry Winkler. I mean, you know, all you need is a shot of him in Vietnam, you know, say dug in, you know, in, in an encampment or something like that and studying the worms or something like the worms could come from, 
instead of just, again, I think the first part of this was kind of written as like 60s antics, you know, much like getting straight of like, oh, you should have the freedom to be eccentric and you just don't understand this guy. That sort of like hippie feeling that never quite reconciled with the PTSD because it, it, it had it both ways by the end. I was like, oh, they're going to do flashbacks? Well, shit, we went through that whole bar thing and he never did one flashback again. This is me in a post-First Blood world talking about that stylistic choice. <laughs> that is a great call, though. I mean, good Lord, that's yeah. perfect. That is a great call on this movie because there is still no plot 20 minutes in. No. We don't know. It just They're just kind of making stuff up to happen for the movie and you have one nutty situation from the next as he finagles his way out of a situation and, and but if they yeah contextualized it then the way that you're speaking we're, we're on board with this character right away instead we're just like this guy is to, to use a great word you just said a nuisance <laughs> yeah like and i'm not quite getting why we uh why we why we care man that that would have been that that's a perfect call on this movie the, the contextualization of the horror he went through in the war earlier in the film would just give a uh, bigger meaning to everything. And, and the movie was not above it. It showed, you know, actual, it, it, yeah, it actually, it, it can't do it. It just yeah. didn't. And I like go, Oh, that's what was missing. I mean, even think about the opening thing. So at the beginning of the movie, you don't even know he's a veteran. I believe uh, when he trashes the recruiting office, he goes in and start. And again, like the, in a very eccentric way, goes in and does a sort of protest thing to each of the soldiers. And I think he's like, and, and you know, He's acting like a recruiter, but he's being a very much a parody of a recruiter and kind of and gets himself thrown out of the recruiting office, yelling and screaming and everything like that. That could be just straight up hippie t type of anti-war stuff. We don't realize, I don't think at that point that he's he's a veteran. No, it, it, they take him from there. They take him from there to the hospital, but it's a veteran's hospital. And that's when you so realize, oh, oh, he is a veteran. Yeah. But think about if you start in Vietnam, with with Henry Winkler and Harrison Ford and maybe the guy that he's ultimately looking for. It's this whole thing is a journey that he, he says he's going to start a worm farm. But he's actually looking to reconnect with uh, a, a person from his battalion from uh, uh, from Vietnam, um, who, as it turns out, is, is gone. And the PTSD is that that guy died saving Henry Winkler's life. Right. And then that how it was. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then I guess the, the, the ultimately this thing builds to the fact that the guilt over that, that he this guy lost his life for him, makes him mentally crack and feel that that guy is still alive and he has to go visit him. I think. Am I summarizing that correctly? I believe so. It's an autobiographical tale from James Karabatsos, who also wrote Hamburger Hill and Heartbreak Ridge. So he's got a thing, you know, the way, I guess he took his experience in war and spilled it out in a bunch of different oh, wow. screenplays. James Karabatsos. Uh, the last name of uh, Donnie from uh, The Big Lebowski, Theodore Karabatsos. Uh, <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, that, what also this movie desperately needed earlier than it came was Harrison right, Ford. But exactly. as you mentioned, what an entrance. Oh, what an right? entrance. I mean. Henry Winkler's character, uh, Jack, is looking for one of his old buddies, you know, and Harrison Ford comes wheeling in and that was it a Trans Am or Corvette or something called the Ace? He does a couple of spin outs, hops out of the car and starts going crazy. And you're like, this is great. This is what we needed. Bin, 
she, she, she does three donuts with the word ace written on the side of this orange thing going Yahoo. And you're like, holy crap, that is a Harrison Ford entrance. That is like if Harrison Ford's first appearance in Star Wars was the very end when he comes in Yahoo and blows some shit up, you know? Yeah. And this was shot before then, of course, too. So this was shot before Star Wars, but released afterwards. So when we get to the next film, Force 10 from Navarone, that'll be his first choice after Star Wars. Right. What to do. This came up beforehand, so he and Sally Field were both kind of stuck with it after the, the Chiefs achieved success in in Smokey and Star Wars. Yeah, and so at this point, like Sally Field and I mean, and and Henry Winkler have come together for some reason. Even though I mean, the only reason they're not on the bus, the only reason they're having trouble, you know, getting from here to there is because of Henry Winkler. And somehow, oh, and and going back to briefly, you know, the fact that he every once in a while to bring up the worm farm so that we realize he has purpose. She just drops in a conversation. Oh, I'm getting married tomorrow. <laughs> like, oh, oh OK. <laughs> Which, of course, she drops because she tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah, right. I mean, come on. <laughs> You're not putting up with anybody's crap. You're getting to where you got to get. And then the, this major distraction comes along in the form of Jack. And it's like, uh, it's very strange. But yeah, I, I forget how they end up. Uh, do they hitchhike on the back of a truck or something to get to uh, uh, Harrison Ford's place and wherever Wyoming that he is? But uh, but yeah, he shows up, I mean, like uh, like a bat out of hell. And he is and he's a full on character. He's a yeah. And desperately needed at that point. So there was then some energy came His in. mother is fat. Hey, man, ain't nobody faster. <laughs> Boy, he really does pick up the energy in the Mills movie. And he makes it a Harrison Ford movie for the 20 minutes that he's in it. I mean, it's really, you know, it's 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 this three-hander. I wish all three were in this movie from the beginning. I know. You know I mean, the three of them taking a road trip in in the Ace car <laughs> Would be would be really awesome. Yeah, that's how they lure you in, though. You see the trailer, and there's Sally Field in a Trans Am. You're like, "Whoa, okay, let's do this. I've done this right. before. This is fun." <laughs> you know, and unfortunately, Harrison Ford then leaves the story, and we go back to the awkwardness that is their the Field Winkler relationship. He gives them his car after they build some rabbit that's houses. True. Yeah, yeah. One of the ways they help Harrison Ford. Who's, who's also very lost. He's also suffering from PTSD, a different form than Henry Winkler. It's taken a different form, but he's very much aimless living in the country, you know, uh, alone w without much purpose. And he's got all these rabbit houses he was intending to build that aren't built. And so then they say, again, the randomness of this movies and 70s movies in general, you know, 70s movies, uh, we, we, we praise them. We praise 70s movies, never thinking of movies like Heroes. But what the 70s movie, you know, what Easy Rider gave movie, the youth, the young filmmaking and acting community, it gave them an excuse to be aimless, to no longer have the rigid uh, uh, strictures of a classic screenplay from the golden age of Hollywood. Now movies could be anything. They could be handheld. They could be out in there. And, and this movie, you know, suffers from that. Some some are glorified because of that ability. This one suffers from that. So for 10 minutes, we make rabbit houses. Um, however, <laughs> That's true. how many times have we ever seen Harrison Ford do carpentry in a movie? Yeah. Witness in this, right? Witness in this. <laughs> When a new entertainment website says, did you know Harrison Ford did carpentry before he became a, an actor? You know, and they're like, yeah, I've heard of that many times. Did you know Tom Selleck was supposed to be uh, Indiana Jones? Like, 
I mean, I guess I'm just old, but I know these facts. And that kind of photo would be in there for the Carpentry story, you know. Always. And yeah, it might be from this movie. Or maybe not. Maybe the movie has significance after all. But the interesting thing about the four performances, it's good, it's high energy, it's not great, but it does show you what a great director can means to a production. Yeah. Because he's great in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. He's good in this. He's good. You can see, like, Lucas just knew more what to do with him and how to better craft the Han Solo performance than the Ken Boyd performance we get here in Heroes from Jeremy Paul Kagan, our director of Heroes. Who yeah, made, not who, a good director. Well, he made The Sting, too. Okay, so I'll maintain my... And uh, his high point was probably The Journey of Natty Gan, I noticed. If you've ever oh, saw that uh, Disney yeah. film with John Cusack, and who is the girl in that? Is it... Uh, That's not Helen Slater, is it? That's... Uh, came out the same year, there's a Helen Slater movie. Oh, The Legend Meredith of Billie Jean. Salinger. Oh. Put that down for your five-pointer at the Schmodown. There you go. There you go. Meredith Salinger. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, and there's a... You know, he did a lot of TV, and uh, I guess Jeremy Kagan, still working. So, out there, you know. Now, what year does uh, Sting 2 come out? Because does making $33 million on a movie that just happens to have Harrison Ford and Sally Field in the same year as Star Wars and Smoking the Bandit <laughs> get you the sequel to the other previous uh, standard for what a movie making a lot of money was until yeah. the existence best, of uh, and best picture, Jaws and Star Wars? Yeah. Uh, man, I don't know. We could do that research, Adam, but will we? No, no, no. We would never get any of these shows done. We're already late on these shows. We would never get them done if we did research. Give me a break. We're just here to talk about Harrison Ford who rocks. By the time the movie ends, uh, they play, for reasons unknown, Carry On, My Wayward Son. Just when, as soon as the movie's over, as soon as the last line has been said in the film, we get the Kansas song, Carry On, My Wayward Son. That's an insane uh, choice. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand it, but there was an interesting story behind it that I did research. Um, by the time the movie was released on VHS and DVD, that song was replaced by an instrumental song because the rights had gone away. This is kind of a crazy thing about the first era of video is that movies never thought about ancillary rights so there's a lot of early VHS. Uh, 16 Candles is a famous example where a bunch of songs that were in that movie in the theater had to be replaced because nobody, there was no contract for that. There was no idea that these things would then go on to have a gigantic life afterwards. It was like, no, it's theatrical presentation. If you're ever going to see Heroes again, it's going to be in the theater during a re-release. You know, that's the only way you could re-see a movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I wonder what it was replaced with, but what an insane choice. No, just some instrumental song. Yeah. Just regular music. Probably something that might have been a little more poignant, considering how the film ended. It was a little interesting to have an emotional moment, over-emotional, if you ask me. But Yeah. Uh, and then, like, carry on my way. He's like, what? Is, <laughs> okay, I guess it's the 70s. We have to do this. That's a completely brand new tone for this movie in the credits. <laughs> right, as it's ending, <laughs> as it's going away, it's leaving you. And this is after the giant PTSD sequence yeah. where, where it goes full, you know, Vietnam vet, and he sees you know, soldiers in the streets. And as he's running down the street, he's now the whole world is turning into a Vietnam battle scene. And uh, yeah. And then after that tone shift, Kansas, throw some Kansas in there. Uh, the rest of the music was by Jack Nietzsche, who went on to win an Oscar for Up Where We Belong. The music is overbearingly 70s. Uh, it was a little tiring, actually. But research Jack Nietzsche's personal life, uh, his history of his relationship with actress Carrie Snodgrass, 
He was charged with threatening to kill her after he barged into oh her God. home and beat her with a handgun. He pleaded guilty to threatening her, was fined, and placed on Oof. three years probation. Well, that ain't the American way. What is Dude, wrong? What's wrong with Hollywood? Does everybody have a story like that? <laughs> Any other thoughts on this one, Adam? So Harrison Ford speeds in, does a couple donuts, boom, it's a Harrison Ford movie, and we're off to the races. He is entered in a race. This is the most pod racing sort of like most pod racing <laughs> way right. out of their their problem is like we oh the, they trashed the diner so now they owe three hundred dollars. How are we gonna make three hundred dollars? Hey, I just met Anakin Skywalker. I'm sorry. I mean uh, Harrison Ford, <laughs> and he's gonna win three hundred dollars in this race. Except that Harrison Ford can't drive his car for some reason, so he. Has Henry Winkler drive it? Who's never driven his car? <laughs> so, so 70s movie, I think is what I'm saying here. Yeah, it's one thing to the next that is just... I, I don't know why. I can't explain why half the things happen in this movie. Movies did not have any pressure, especially movies by the youth, had no pressure to... Because I think the studio executives had no idea what made Easy Rider make money. So they're just like, <laughs> uh, whatever you kids want to do. do you, do We've been working hard. We could do less. We don't have to write this whole script and everything. We don't have to have... We need to find the next Dennis Hopper, not knowing that that's a very damaged human being with a lot of problems. One of my favorite uh, things about... Um, South Park was apparently when they write their scripts, and you may have heard this, they write, you know, a lot of plots are this happens, and this happens, and this happens, and this happens, and this happens. They write their plots with this happens, therefore, this happens, therefore, this happens. Uh, that doesn't work here. No. and, and, and I'll, <laughs> They trash the diner. Therefore, they have to go on a, they have to race a car to win the money to pay the get. I mean, it's just. Yeah. Oh, well, then the thing about the and the thing about the South Park is that's their rewriting process. So they'll they'll come up with a bunch of ideas early, early on in that documentary you're referencing. They just go, oh, this would be a funny bit, funny bit, funny bit, funny bit. And then at the, the very end for their final draft, they go, well, let's connect all these things with therefores instead of ands. So their their rough draft is ands and their rewrite is therefores. This movie had no rewrite. One draft done, <laughs> yeah, exactly. ready to go. <laughs> But, you know, and, and you and I study directors enough that, you know, there is a tremendous process on the set of trying to hold all the plot information. And, you know, you'll hear a lot of times where when a, a scene has to do a lot of heavy lifting, that's something that largely was rewritten maybe the day before or on the day where they're like, we really got to tie some of these things together. And uh, that's just a good director will get that out of their writer or a, a good writer director will be able to facilitate that himself or uh, a, a cast will sometimes, but I, this, this director was not able to get any of or see any of that just seemed constantly behind the eight ball before Sally field drove a car into the pool table. <laughs> That's right. They trashed the whole they bar. There was a fight scene at, right. She drove it to rescue him uh, in that scene. I referenced earlier. She drives the car through the wall, which is a wall made of, the balsa wood wall. <laughs> right, right. Not a single <laughs> bit of cement or mason brick in that wall. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. They just leave a trail of destruction behind them with very few consequences. What a, uh, Paul, when we started this journey for the Ford Fiesta. Indeed. We, we did. It, this is what a revelation <laughs> all of these Harrison Ford movies are in their particular era. I mean, this is a very 77 movie, which Star Wars is not. <laughs> Star Wars is not a 77 movie at all. <laughs> 
you know, maybe points for a first attempt to comment on soldier issues post-war. Sure. But, uh, yeah, but just a, a ham-fisted one and a completely, I mean, it just streamlined this story. Yeah, I mean, it would be one thing if, as a technique, we are put in the position of all these people who are meeting him for the first time, you know, so that so that when we learn more about him but it just it doesn't they i mean it's i don't think it's trying to do that either i think it's just not giving you anything to go on so that you're you're judging him as like oh what a crazy person you know when it's uh let me pick up a ventriloquist dummy on the bus and then just yeah, talk with the, I'm fr- randomly like flip a coin what are we doing next <laughs> and, and with all his uh, insanity he gets a golden globe nomination and a bafta nod as well is that because his performance is so good in this movie or is it because we had yet to talk about the ramifications of the Vietnam War in terms of PTSD? Well, that's certainly TV Guide called us one of the first movies to deal with the plight of veterans. Yeah. And so, yeah, perhaps it was a reward just to say good on you movie. Right. Um, despite the fact that performances had already come out by like, like Brando's and The Godfather. Right. <laughs> you know? And Max von Sydow and The Exorcist. I wouldn't put Winkler's performance by next to those as a BAFTA but, uh, winner. <laughs> so it was probably the uh, the content more than anything else. I mean, I think Winkler is miscast here. I mean, a brave choice for him being the Fonz. I'm sure he didn't want to go play the Fonz in a movie, you know, to play a. Although he did, he wasn't a leather jacketed uh, movie with Stallone, right? What was that? Was that Lords of Flatbush? Yeah, but uh, but you know, he obviously wants to stretch, play a different character different role but uh i don't think he's cast right i don't think he brings much to it he stretched better in night shift there you go that's now that's the henry (laughs) winkler (laughs) but back to our man of the moment harrison ford let's go through his definitive list of essentials was there righteous anger Hmm. i don't think so he isn't he's not an angry i mean he's he's he had frustration here and there but never anger i don't hear from you for i don't know how long you call me up, you show up here, you start telling me how to run my life. This ain't the army, you know? In fact, I think the key to his character was that a lot was being repressed and pushed down, which is what came out in the fact that he was being aimless and not, you know, building the rabbit house and stuff like that. So, no, like he he didn't even know to be angry at, you know, his situation. Yeah, he could have been angry, angrier at the world, but he wasn't. And so if that brought him, uh, does he point? No. Does he smile and have charm? Absolutely. He hops he out of that uh, Trans Am or whatever he was driving, and he's immediately Mr. Smile. and tra- He's immediately post-Death Star Destruction reuniting with Leia and Luke. Very right? much so. He's Very much so. <laughs> that guy uh, right away. So, <laughs> Actually, you're right. That, that's you, you look for little tiny Harrison Ford moments, and when he does jump out of that car and hug them, it is a, a one-to-one with when he runs up to Luke and Leia uh, getting off the uh, X-Wing there at the end of Star Wars. It's the exact same acting. <laughs> Did we talk about the fact that, you know, there's that rumor out there that Mark said, carry upon there. That's a whole, uh, watch that scene again. Yeah, people say that, but there's such significant redubbing and re-recording. If anybody caught that, they would have redubbed it. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, by now, yeah. Luke, I've always heard him going, hey! That's yeah. it. I've never heard of Harry. <laughs> yeah. People hear what they want to hear. So Ford in Heroes doesn't shout or growl. He doesn't hit a guy. Mm. Even if there's a brief war sequence. It's guns and running. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he doesn't get hit either. So not a lot of the essentials yet. 
you could put this in the high percentage of how Harrison Ford is. Ian. Right. He's very, I mean, he never plays a hillbilly again. Like he never plays a good old boy again, does he? <laughs> I don't think so. This might no. be the end of good old boys. So for good old boys, you got this, you got Bob Falfa and you got Willie Bill. This the definitive good old boy performances of Harrison Ford at this point. Yeah. Then he becomes like, you know, typical, uh, straight white leading man for whatever your thriller or action movie requires, you know, government figure, business person, you know, yeah, that from here on out. Yeah. Pretty much whether it's getting shot in the head or making it with Melanie Griffith. <laughs> just like your white guy. <laughs> so, but 75%, I think here, because he, he has a lot of fun with the 75% Harrison Ford in this. Well, yeah, I, I would say as well, because, you know, Han Solo is a hot shot pilot he is a you know he's a there's there's a lot of han solo in in this and you know bob falfa because they're drivers they're 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 uh good at that sort of thing they're uh they live by their own rules yeah yeah i see i see a lot of harrison Ford. i might go a little less than 75 but uh i'll go 70 i could i could go there with you you want to agree on 70 i'm with you too Let's let's agree on seventy. It's about seventy percent Harrison Ford. Here. We have a fun uh, gif you've now made out of his uh, the, when he smacks a beer can against his head. It's the first and only time we see that as well. He drinks a beer can, smashes it on his head. You know how they just collapse him on their forehead. He does that and tosses it behind him. I'm like, that's a movement you don't see from Harrison Ford much. That's fun. This is the first and last time you will see him, as Steve Lewis said, doing a Bluto. I sent him that gif as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the first and last that time is. that you'll see Harrison Ford do a Bluto. So it's not on our definitive list, but notable. Had Bluto done that? Was that when was Animal House? 78? He might have oh. taken it from Ford. He pre-Bluto'd the... <laughs> <laughs> And of course, the Harrison Ford punch cut now remains at one. But you have an addendum to this. I do. Based on our Star Wars talk that we forgot to bring up then. Yes. Oh, no, it's not the punch gun. Sorry. Yes. He does point at does. Jabba the Hutt in the special <laughs> edition. Look, Jabba, next time you want to talk to me, come see me yourself. Don't send one of these twerps. So if you want to know how old Paul and I are, he doesn't point in Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah, we just... Uh, I just don't think about the special editions, so I forgot. No, no, neither do but, I. But retroactively, we're adding a point to his... But he was already tracking about 100% Harrison Ford in Star Wars anyway. Right, right? So that's a... That's doesn't, a no, doesn't, doesn't affect the number uh, that we came out with there. Yeah. And that wraps Heroes from 1977. Again, scroll down in Amazon or Voodoo when you're trying to rent it. You'll find. Just keep going. And it'll eventually come up. Cheer. Um, and if you have something to say about the film, please chime in at the Movie Guys everywhere on social media from Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and wherever you listen to the show. And, of course, at themovieguys.net. Our next show uh, will be hopefully soon. We're back on track. Nice. And we will be talking about uh, Force 10 from Navarone. Oh, I haven't seen the first Force, uh, first nine Force movies. Am I going to get lost on this? No, Adam. You won't. Well, there ain't no problem. I can win tomorrow. There ain't nothing to it. All you got to do is go round and round in a circle. I can do that real good.